I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Why would you want to be a referee? That's why I get irritated. That's why I got off with Arteta. They go down. They don't just go down and roll over once. They roll over three times. I'm thinking of someone in particular. I've got to assume that Kai Havertz is some sort of tax write-off. He's been the best England centre-forward. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I... And that's including Harry Kane. People I was answerable to were, um, well, they put me off football forever, being a manager. Welcome to episode five of Simon and Sunes. Graham, nice to see you. Happy New Year. And to you, you, have a, you and your family have a super one. Yep. Let Indeed. me kick us off this week, if, if I may. Tell me about refereeing standards in the Premier League. How are they the worst we've seen? I don't know. I mean, I look, I look back over a litany of referees in the past, George Courtney, Jack Taylor, and all those personalities that presided over a different period in the game. And I look at the, the the way that managers interact with the media talking about referees. I look at some of the observations that Arteta made about empirically data suggesting all his observations were that our refereeing standards in this country are miles off um, the European counterparts. And then we see this absolute deluge of decisions being made by European referees in European football. I, I, I don't I think the culture of referees has changed. And I don't know whether it dovetails in with VAR because it gives them an excuse not to make decisions. But I think it's all about the leadership on the pitch of referees. And I think like lots of things in society, it's become a bit weaker and a bit more susceptible to outside influences. But the game's changed. The the expectation of the game has changed. It's now become an offensive game. And I don't mean offensive in terms of upsetting people. I mean, it's about attacking football rather than defensive attributes Do you, I mean you're asking me the question you played in it you managed in it you're an educated eyes watching it do you think the standards are drops I think um, the Premier League is the most watched most interesting most entertaining league in the world and I think um, this year is a special year we've had some fabulous years in the past but I also think our refereeing standards have not kept up with the quality that's on has been played by the the players. I think VAR has come along and, and instead of it being a tool to aid referees, it's become a real problem for them because it's embarrassing them. It's showing them up not to know too much about the 
important things in football, knowing when the, who's been the instigator and making a foul, you know, coming together of players. They can't tell. Did they ever, Guido? Yeah, a lot more than they, they did. did. A lot more than they do now, yeah. Like, why? For me, last week, like Calvert-Lewin. What, that in the Paris card. Yeah, for yeah. me, he's not gone to hurt anyone. They'll say, but he showed his six studs. His six studs were shown in a way where he's trying to sweep the ball. Now, a football... Are you, are you seriously saying then that in your day, because the nature of the way that the referees refereed and the, combat and the, and the contact that was allowed anyway, that they would have seen that for what it was? Yeah. They would have done. Yeah. So, I think... I think there is a position, there is a place for VAR. Um, I also have advocated for this for a long time. I think they should employ ex-players. To do what? A, it is a close shop. To aid the referees sitting in Stockley Park to make the correct decisions. Because every weekend, the pundits who are doing the shows have something to talk about where a referee's made a howler. Every weekend. But that's part of the entertainment business now. That The, the VARs become part of it. Can I ask you, why would you want to be a referee? I know it's starting to get enough tight of it. Well, it's, it, I, I, what personality says, you know what, that's a really good job. I'll get abuse every weekend. My family get abused. My kids will get abused when they go to school. Uh, but I'm still going to do it. But isn't that about the culture of the refereeing fraternity and the way that football treats it? Because we've seen recently, that's why I get irritated. That's why I got off with Arteta and his rant. Because I think that ultimately people make make mistakes. Managers make mistakes. Players make mistakes. Owners make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And everybody gets a period of dispensation. Whereas when a referee makes a mistake, there is no um, uh, ability to be able to overcome it or to tolerate it. It's instantaneously. But that's what VAR's for. VAR is there but to VAR, make life VAR, easier for them. But VAR and but, it's making it more difficult for them. But I agree with you. But do you think that VAR? You, you mentioned the Palace game with Calvert Lewin, and um, I think it was Nathaniel Klein. Klein's reaction doesn't help, by the way, either. Right? <laughs> no. And that's the modern-day footballers. That didn't happen in They're your day and each age. Other in trouble, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think it was perfectly plausible for VAR to intervene. Perfectly plausible for VAR to say, we want to have a look at this. And then go to the referee and say, just have another look. But surely to Christ, shouldn't it be the referee on the pitch going, I, I got this. I'm comfortable with the decision I've made. If, we're, if we've got VAR, if he's completely sure about it, but in this case, he would have been 100% wrong. That I don't think it was any intent from Calvert-Lewin. If we had a, a footballing head sitting in Stockley Park and says, look, my opinion is he's trying to sweep this ball. He's, he's, yes, he showed studs. Is that a red card? It's no intent to hurt the other player. But doesn't that get superseded by another argument that gets run in there where people will turn around and say, is there a difference? You, you can answer this because I can't. Is there a difference between a League Two player and a Premier League player? Clearly, yes, right? Mm -hmm. So does a League Two player see things differently than a Premier League player sees things? No. He doesn't? No. He doesn't see things differently. No. Really? No, I don't think so. Okay. Because I I would have anticipated from the from the crew that want to dissent, whatever you got, whatever you give them, there'll there'll be some other reason why it isn't working. You put a League Two player into into adjudicating alongside a VAR official, a Premier League game, and the next argument will be, yeah, I'm played at this level. Well, that's the it's professional football. It's professional football. You know when you I can tell you, sitting from 30, 40, 50 yards away, where there's intent and someone trying to hurt someone. You do it. Would you go? I mean, there's a, a lot of people say what the solution is. Very few people have put themselves in the way. Would you go into VAR? I was working, not, not my age, but I was, working, I was working for Sky. And when VAR was introduced several years ago, we went to Sockley Park. And I think we were given six incidents 
Tamika Judgment, and I was there with other guys who were pundits. And we got five right, and there was one where there was an incident the ball may have gone out of play, and it was one that no one got right. So by and large, but that was that was not so much, that was more a technical thing where referees know the first rule and the last rule in the rule book. But their interpretation of fouls and the way things happen in games is not very good. And I think a referee would help them enormously. All right, does the, now the, the governor of the... P.J. Mowell. Yeah. Mm. His name escapes from Howard Webb. Howard Webb. What, you, what sort of job did he Went off to America, doing? didn't he? I think he's all right. I quite like Howard. I didn't necessarily think he was... I thought when he was refereeing at times, he got a bit carried away of himself and made it, made himself the centre of attention. It became a little bit about Howard Webb. But I think in principle, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get some balls back into refereeing. I, you know, excuse the pun. He's trying to get some sort of culture back into referees that they become leaders. Because you asked the question at the beginning of this, or you, you framed it in such a way, who'd want to be a referee? Well, if you love the game and there's a career path and it's valued, which by the way, refereeing often isn't, but if it were and the economics were right, because it's the richest league in the world, quite frankly, the economics should be right for a referee to be able to make a decent career out of it. And you've got the authority and the courage of your convictions. I think refereeing could be a decent and, and viable way to build a career inside a sport that you like. But if I if I was looking after the PGMOL and doing what Howard's were doing, there's not too much dissimilar that I would do than what he's doing. The problem with football and the problem with the way football has gone, in my view, is that because of the broadcasters and because of the expectation, everyone's entitled to information. Everyone's entitled to see this bit more. No one accepts anything at face value. No one accepts certain positions and certain um, uh, parameters. And this idea that you get to hear audio, this idea that you get to hear... Um, certain things or become privy to certain things. I think in other sports, people just have a tacit acceptance of the referee's authority. And I would be working more, which is what Webb is doing, on getting these referees to be proper leaders. So if it means going over to the the monitor, they take the view that they had initially because they, they back themselves rather than be influenced by those in Stockley Park. I'd want to do that more, spend more time building these guys up into being leaders, building these guys up into having some about them so they've got the courage of their convictions to go no I'm not going to be influenced by a decision and I would also want to change the perspective on VAR because I always thought VAR was going to be something that referees called for we want to go to VAR the on-field referee goes I'm not sure about this I'm going to fall back on it rather than it being the driving force I would change the dimensions of it if you're a good referee and you know your stuff VAR becomes a tool you, you lose you would use less and less. We talked about if you call for it. Yeah, if, if talk, this is what I'm talking about. We talked about simulation, players making life difficult for referees. I can tell you when someone's simulating an injury from sitting in the stand watching a game. I can tell you when it happens in real time. Finding an injury. I can and simulating a penalty. Yeah, I can. I can tell you if he's been caught or not, and they'll roll over and go down. And every time a player's tackled today, there's a scream goes up from the guy who's been challenged and immediately followed by everyone in that vicinity that plays on the same side as him being fouled, screams as well and puts their arms up. It's all about trying to influence referees. They have to get, they have to be, they have to get round that. I think they have to start booking more people for simulation when they're obviously not hurt. And, and when you watch a amount of games where people go, they go down, they don't just go down and roll over once, they'll roll over three times. I'm thinking of someone in particular. Um, they'll go down well, and roll and roll. Salah? No. Of course not, because he's no, Liverpool. Yeah. No, they'll go down and roll and roll. And what's that doing? That, that's, that's cheating, isn't it? You try to get someone in trouble. So a good referee would see that, book them, 
and take it out of the game. Because I, I wrote a book five years ago and I dedicated a piece of it to, you have to be careful with the game going forward. The referees have such a major part to play. There's a whole chapter about, you know, manage it carefully because we have a great product and everyone wants to be the number one league in the world. The Germans do, the Spanish do, the French would love to be. We have it. A right, yeah, yeah, but in terms of the quality, in terms of the um, the quality that you're watching and the, the excitement. Because of the, the way, finances, and the way they, all the players over here. Well, I think it's as much to do with the way the English public want it played. But I don't think our referees are up to that standard. And we have to, they, have to, they have such a major part to play. And I think right now, the biggest danger to us losing the mantle of being the league in the world to watch, to play in, to want to be part of, the biggest danger to them is a poor referee. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think to, to top this particular conversation off and, and, to, and to summarize it, I think the referees are not as bad as people are representing them to be and not as good as they should be. Well, FIFA must think so. The last World Cup, how many referees did we have there? Two. Was it two or one? I thought it was one game. Mm. Anyway, we move on. Goal. I can remember the director turned up and um, with this young fella, he was beyond hopeless. I've got to assume that Kai Havertz is some sort of tax write-off. He's been the best England centre-forward. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I... And that's including Harry Kane. People I was answerable to were, um, well, they put me off football forever, being a manager. Films about football, not many of them particularly good. Escape to victory probably springs to mind. But you were, when you were in Newcastle, when I made the god-awful film Goal. 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 I can remember the director turned up and um, with this young fella, Kuno Becker, I think his name was, a Mexican. And we go on St. James's Park with the ball. And I'm thinking, Mexican? He must be able to kick a ball. This must be what, 2007? A long time ago. Yeah, something. He couldn't kick a... Ah, the only Mexican that had never kicked a, a soccer ball. He was... Beyond hopeless. 
So I think I instructed one of the youth team coaches to spend a few days with him just teaching him how to kick a ball properly. I'm just trying to think about goal because one of my best mates is Nick Moran, the actor, who directed a couple of films that I made. But I'm sure he was in goal or goal two because somehow goal one led to goal two, even though it was a dreadful bloody film. But I think they did goal two at Nottingham Forest's grounds. Because I remember he wanted to borrow one of my Ferraris, borrowed it, drove it into a wall and told me that it dented it in a car park. But I'm just trying to think about goal and... and, and well, I've got, I haven't got many memories. They were around the place. I can remember when they were getting near the end of the their period in, in the northeast. We had played a big game at home and we had won. The players were all on the pitch celebrating. It might have been... It was a big game anyway. Crowd were delighted. The crowd had stayed to the end. And then all of a sudden, this guy runs on from left field and it's the actor celebrating with our players so obviously they're filming it in real time celebrating very good because i think you met nick though i think you did a didn't a, i met i met him you did several on sky times. didn't you you did something with times. him and sky when you were doing some commercial for the beginning yeah. of the season of sky he's useless at football did i not meet him with you i think you might have done yeah 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 but boxing. You might remember boxing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Talking about Newcastle, are you uh, you're an Eddie Howe fan? Yeah, I think he's done a very good job there. Big part of of um the job is is getting more out of the players than the previous managers did. And I think when you look I'll name two players, Joe Linton, Almiro. They didn't look like Premier League players until Eddie got there. He's improved them. He's getting an extra yard out of some. They've hit the wall at the moment. But if you had said six weeks ago, four weeks ago, we're a Newcastle under Eddie Howe, you'd say they're the further down the road than they should be. Do you think he gets them? Do you think he gets them where they want to go? I don't. I I like him. I made observations about him previously that have proven to be wrong because I think he's done a brilliant job in what he's bought against what he's returned against the spirit that he's created in that group of players against the the ability for the the team to be operating at a high level. And I I I don't know about you. I thought they were. Very unlucky in the Champions League. I think you said they weren't good enough. I think besides a penalty that should never have been last, given to PSG, yeah, they'd be in Europe still. Yeah. I think when you look at the way the Saudis have approached any sport, boxing, Yeah, you know, they're in a rush. They're not waiting. You know, they're not playing second to anyone. They're the big guys in the Middle East. They don't play second to anyone. So they're looking for it yesterday. You know, this is not a, like a 10, 15, 20-year plan. They'll be wanting it tomorrow. So, yeah, I think... They're happy, they'll be happy where they are right now. If in a year's time they don't see another leap in progress, then I think it makes but he goes vulnerable. And unless there's a complete and utter wheels coming off, he'll go out of Newcastle with a lot of bankable credit, won't he? If he was to go right now, certainly. But, you know, football is a terrible, terrible habit of kicking you when you least expect it. And, and right now he's ahead of the game. He's doing a very good job right now. But in a year's time, no one knows. But the point I want to make about Saudi Arabia, you, know, you look at the way they've tried to kickstart their own domestic league by importing all these yeah. superstars from whatever country. But that's what everyone's done, Greg. Yeah, yeah, but they, we did it here. The reasons yeah. why our league is so good is we've got a load of foreign players. There. Yeah, yeah, and it's money's money's driven it. So the Saudis have more money than anyone else, so they can keep doing that until they get bored or or um, it's a success, and it'll be the, it's the same in boxing. And it'll be the same with Newcastle. Financial fair play, obviously, will play its part how quickly they can progress. Um, if there was no financial fair play, I'd imagine there'd be 
spending lots more money right now in this window. But who knows what the future holds for Newcastle United? Um, but right now, Eddie, do you, want, if, do you want do you want him to do well? Yeah, huh? yeah. I've, I've got you know. I spent a couple of years up there. I found it a very difficult job. Yeah. Difficult job, difficult place to work. Um, but it's different ownership now. People I was answerable to were, um, or they put me off football forever, being a manager. We're going into the January transfer window now. There's a lot of talk about certain clubs that need people that can score goals. And that leads, just, leads me to a conversation about the number nine position and top strikers. Why, why do you think, Graham, there's a dearth? I mean, when we talk about it, we can probably name three off the top of our heads of number nines that we that you just go, wow, in the modern game. Lewandowski, Harry Kane, and Erlen Haaland, right? Mm. But other than that, you start to find yourself running on infertile ground. Why, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, you think number nine is... The, the job description is very different now. The, the, the term false number nine. Right. You know, the three you mentioned, Lewandowski plays up, Haaland plays up, but Harry Kane drops off most of the time. So there's different ways to be a number nine. You see, Ivan Tony. You know, a number nine of old-fashioned type. I think the game is now because it's more um, shorter passes. Very few people go long um, all the time. So that kind of player would be isolated. So now a number nine today is generally a really good technician, a good football player, rather than a big lump that you only get it up to can hold it up and does it does play it joins in from does there. it not have to be that I mean was it not always that I mean I know I look back and think of players like Bob Latchford and players like that and they weren't as cultured as you players that you're now talking about but there isn't I mean it isn't football exciting to watch a winger get a ball beat a fullback put it in a, in a box and another number nine comes in heads it in the back of the net but my my seven years at Liverpool and that's forty years ago. We never had a big number nine with Dave Johnson, Ian Rush, Kenny Dalglish. With, with Toshek gone before, but that gone. was that. Yeah, with when I arrived, he left. So that would be the, the last sort of big centre-forward type they had. Right. So, you know, you, you're not going to just launch it up to Kenny. You're not going to launch it up to Rushy. You're not going to launch it up to Dave Johnson or David Faircloth. It had to be. We were a passing team then. But if you listen to people, oh, the, the passing game, and false number nine is just new to the game. But no, it's not. But great, isn't the Kenny was the original but, num false number nine. Okay, who was, okay the, the definition of a centre-forward in our minds in the English game is a big, lumpy, six-foot-three, jumps up, rough centre-half. You get it up there, but he okay, holds but it then, up. But you go back to the Germans of the 70s and you had Gerd Müller. But it wasn't a big... You he know, was very strong. Was a, he was strong and powerful, but he wasn't somebody that was you know, a battering ram. It was a bit, he was a six-yard box merchant, wasn't he? You've heard, you've Lineker. heard that in your, in your um, footballing career, where, you know, an English, old-fashioned English centre-forward. Forward, yeah. yeah. That's a lot. That's before me. That was before my time. Although I played in a wee bit at the start, but I played with people who their strength was get it into their feet. So we were not a team that launched it. So the passing, the idea that the modern game is, is new um, and that false number nines are new and having football Footballing number nine, it's, it's, it's not new. It's not new. Like fullbacks joining in, it's not new. There's all this chat about... Um, Inverted fullbacks. Yes. And even No, we're going to talk about number nines, but for me, I mean, you want someone who's got a bit of everything. Like Shearer had a bit of everything. Mm. He could be robust. You know, he could get he could take the blows. He could bully centre yeah. center half, and he wasn't the biggest. He just had to pick the flight of the ball up quickly in the centre house he was playing against. He could run in behind, not when I had him at Newcastle, but he could. 
he was the best for me. He's been the best England centre forward. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I and that's including Harry Kane. I, I, I mean, I watched Shearer. I mean, I, I think he. I think I, I think I went to the game when he made his yeah, debut for Palace. Two goals. Yeah, and just Sunday banged him in from nowhere. Yeah. yeah, I remember it watching. And, it, and obviously there was a Did lot of noise about him. Come out the anyway. tunnel, the opposite end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but when you think about a number nine, I mean, I think I think Tony is a bit of a throwback. And it's funny um, when he came up when they came up with um, Brentford, there was this argument that he was unorthodox, and and that was a way of sort of diminishing him. But I think Tony is a proper centre forward now. I think he's got a bit of it all. No, I, I think, think you put it about. I think he can play as well, and he can score goals from everywhere. There's room for that as well. He can, he can, he's different, you know. He can he can deal with that. What we're talking about, what Shearer could deal with, and I'm not suggesting he's like Shearer, but he can he can come and get get on it, link up. But he's a threat running forward. What centre forwards don't like is people with pace and people that want to keep running centre in behind. Yeah, Sorry, did I say something? What centre halves don't like is a centre forward who's prepared to run in behind, can be aggressive. Can match them for pace, and then if, if they're decent on the ball as well, you got they've got. Who's the best for. number nine that you played with? Well, well, is it a false number nine? Well, no, you're, well, in your time. Well, I'm Rushy was in, you know a phenomenal goal scorer, but Kenny was a false number nine. Right, um, and that combination between the two of them, they scored a lot of goals in between each other because one wanted to run forward, one would come to the ball and do clever things. Get on and get turned and make clever passes against, but all, but also chip in with goals. Who was the best one against? Against, because you'd have been you'd, at the time you'd have had Frank Stapleton going from Arsenal to Man United, right? Mm -hmm. You'd have had Super Mac, um, Malcolm McDonald. Yeah. Who else was around at that time? Proper. Sim. I mentioned Toshak, didn't I? Yeah, proper. Joe sim. Royal. Yeah, he was a big hand. Joe Royal. Bob Latchford. Yeah, they had sort of that Wilkier. Andy Gray. Yeah. I liked him as a centre yeah. forward. And then he got his dodgy knee. Andy yeah. was a, a real handful. Joe yeah. Jordan was a handful. Yeah. Yeah. Centre half didn't like playing against him. Um, the best one, that's a, that's a great shot. I've not had that fired at me. Really good one. I would say, who did not, who was a real threat? I, I, I couldn't just pick one. There, there was a, you know, a centre forward in those days was someone that would see a fair Peter bit. With. Remember Peter With? Yeah. The Scouser. Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, he was a handful, European Cup winner. It was. Um I'm going through the teams. Well, who was your biggest rivals at the time? They were, it wasn't Man United, was it? I mean Forest for a period of time. I got the early days of Mark Hughes. He was a he was a handful, a strong, strong player. No one enjoyed playing against him. Um you know, Trevor Francis wanted to run in behind all yep. the time, a very different type of striker. God rest his soul. Yeah. Um, but a centre forward in those days. The we had wingers, didn't you? You had Stevie Koppel, you had Peter yeah. Barnes, you had Laurie Cunningham, you had Stevie Highway. Well, he wasn't a centre forward. He was, he no, was, he was a winger. I'm saying yeah, you had wingers. The centre forwards came into play differently, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, he'd come in all the time. I mean, it's a, see, I'm not, maybe getting off tack a wee bit here, but the, 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 the lads you're mentioning... Would they, yeah, most of them would be able to play in the modern game because they could come and get involved. You know, as a centre, as a centre forward in those days, um, the, as, as described, typical English centre forward, you just people think big lump, not very good with the ball at his feet, but I'll put his head on things. These boys were better than that. What we're talking about. But you must remember Dixie Dean. I've heard of him. Oh yeah, I've seen the statue. John Charles as well. was one, wasn't he? John Charles, who yeah. played. Any, they reckon he could play anywhere. Mm. 
could play centre half, centre forward. What do you reckon on um, going off subject? On, on a different subject. What do you reckon on? It's it's linked, but what do you reckon on Arteta? Because I think it's evident that they needed to buy a goal scorer. They needed to buy a centre forward in the summer. I cannot. I, I I've got to assume that Kai Havertz is some sort of tax write off because I can't think in the, I can't have any <coughs> thinking about that. Do, do you think Arteta should be in for some criticism? He's had two hundred and fifty million quid to spend, and he spent it, and they still have the same problem or a a derivative of it in the fact that they don't have a central focus for someone that can score 25 goals a season. See, I like the... I'll, I'll, I'll get to your your question. Is it Smith Rowe? Smith Rowe? Yeah, Emil Smith Rowe. I, yeah. I like him. Why? It's a midfield player running into the box, clever passes. Everything seems to be done when he's sprinting, which I like. Goal threat. And then you spend 60 million on Arteta to be... On um, so habits. Yeah. yeah. So the point I want to make is that six million. That'd be a criticism, a fair criticism, I think. Yeah. You've spent. When you you know what about building a football team is you 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 strengthen you try and you get, get your weakest your weakest look to strengthen your weakest part of your team. Yeah. Well, it was, I think it was screaming out for most people. Arsenal needed another striker with Jesus. So you go and you go and take um, Kai Havertz from from Chelsea for yeah. big money. When really, you've got a homegrown player who I think is every bit as good as him. So that 60 million should have been maybe directed towards a striker. Yeah. But does that... Can you and see, that, can, that might can, cost him. Last year, when yeah. they were far ahead, a different type of striker. You know, I'm talking about Tony. Who's, when you're buying players, you're trying to eliminate the... What's the problem with them? What, why would they not be successful here? So if they're a foreigner, will they deal with different culture? Will his family deal with that? Will he pick up the language quick enough? Will he be able to deal with the intensity of the English game? So you try and take out one of them. So with Jesus, from do you, City, so do you think? Do you think? Do you think? I I've got mixed emotions about Arteta. I I, I love the fact that he frustrates you, doesn't he? A little bit, yeah, because I think there's a lot of noise, and sometimes I think that the substance isn't quite there. And I thought that before, and yet he produced a side last year that was really worth applauding and, 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 and had real merit attached to it. And he's been given a lot of support. I mean, I, I can't make head nor tail of debates about goalkeepers being rotated and the Havert situation. And I don't like, and I've said it repeatedly, I don't like some of the nonsense that he's come out with about referees and the manner in which his club has supported him. But I, I don't know if Arsenal will keep on spending the way that they are with him because they've spent like drunken sailors. Ever since the European Super League, it would appear that Cronkies woke up suddenly realise this isn't an arm's length subsidiary of an American business. Quite fancy is the idea that there might be some value in it because he's seen Chelsea get bought for two and a half billion quid and he's starting to make some money available. And I don't think you can go on spending 250 to 200, 200 million to 250 million every season and have won one FA Cup in three and a half years. Yeah. I mean, you've got, well, how far do you wind it back? The move from hybrid to Emirates to become one of the big clubs in world football. And from they didn't move back until the last couple of years, they were going backwards. You agree with that? I, well, I think I think ultimately, I think depends what you think. Years. Depends what you're pitching it against. They weren't the side that won the double well, or was, were the invincible teams, but that they no, didn't have the resources. Qual- it wasn't about winning trophies. It was just about qualifying for Mess up to the managers as well. Wenger was prepared to accept so it. So I think they were going backwards, but I think in the last two years they have made they have made um, a quantum leap. I don't think. Yesterday, for example, I don't think they're playing any worse than they were this time last year, but they were they were still winning. 
they're still winning games. If football is still good enough to win so games. So does he get criticism for not a... For me, two points you've highlighted. I think you buy, you spend all that money on a goalkeeper um, and you bring them into the club and then you're trying to keep both happy is a mistake. I think it's obvious you're spending all that money on a goalkeeper, he's going to be your number one. Just and not buy a centre forward. Yeah. And don't, no, and don't buy Havertz. Because you've got Yeah, Smith but I'm Lowe. saying, but not buying a centre so, forward. Yeah, that's the other, yeah. that would yeah. be my two criticisms. But I think, I think Arsenal have to support them. I, I, I think Arteta's, they're going in the right direction with Arteta in charge. But I think he will wish he'd bought a centre forward rather than, he didn't buy Guy Havertz on what he'd seen at Chelsea. He bought Guy Havertz thinking, I can make him better by working with him and telling him to do these things. That's not, so far it's not worked. Right, that's it for episode five of Simon and Sunis. We'll see you guys next time we're out. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.